Someone just gave me this one sentence they felt like was from the Lord, so if this is for you, please take it. It's just simply this sentence. Put your hope in me. I'm in control. Okay. Well, um, we are in the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel 2. Could we stand to our feet as we read the word of God? Daniel 2. Now, on the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there's no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter so that they might request compassion from the king, from, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. 
It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what what, what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Ariok hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the young... See how he's trying to take credit for the whole thing? Are you kidding me? I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the king, the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Father, in Jesus' name, please, God, hide me behind your cross. Holy Spirit, you have a word for each person. Lord, would you please be here? Help us focus. I'm especially praying for our young people that there would be divine help to focus today on what you are saying. Please, God, have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Title of the message is A Prophetic People. Point one is the darkness of the day. So, It is a very dark time in Israel. Israel is now in captivity. It seems that the God of Israel has been conquered by the Babylonian God. Nebuchadnezzar has literally taken the vessels, some of the vessels from the temple of God and put it in the temple of his God. It is a very dark day. He has renamed the captives... These young captives have all been renamed. We know of four of them. Four of them, uh, all of their names had the name of God in their name. Daniel, uh, El means God God Almighty. Yah means uh, the Lord. And so we have Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, and Daniel. And he takes, he, he changes their name. He changes their name and renames them under with the names of Babylonian gods in their name. He is trying to intimidate. It is a day of tremendous darkness in Israel and for the people of God. I want you to consider the day that we are living in right now. There is tremendous, in this country, political darkness. If you've had a chance to see any of the debates and the discussion, it's at a level that I've never seen before of dishonor. The Bible says that the devil's an accuser. The accusations that are flying and shamelessly, and it is is stunning 
the political darkness that is in this country. And then think of the global darkness. Think of uh, militant Islam and the threat of terrorism that's all over the world. Think of millions of refugees that have been driven out of their home that don't know where they're going and, and all these countries saying, we don't want them here, we don't want them here, we don't want them here. There, this is a day of global darkness. And then think for a moment the darkness in the church. The church largely in America has redefined grace. Redefined gra- grace just means forgiveness. There's no, really no power to change or even an expectation to actually change that grace just means God forgives us even though we're sinners. And that type of anemic church has led to a whole generation of young people that think church is irrelevant. And we have an enemy, I don't know if you've noticed this, that is trying to rename our young people. They're getting their name out of Christian and into everything. Everything from lust to witchcraft to uh, all of the sexual confusion that is happening in this land. Young people don't, there's not a, a voice of moral clarity. There's a tremendous darkness today in the church. Well, in that day, most of the captives... Oh, we're on to point two. Let's get on to point two. Here's point two. Oh, let me just say this. In that day, if someone didn't get a hold of God and have God actually speak, they would have died. It was a desperate time. Somebody needed to get a hold of God. So here, now, now let's move to point two. The light, isn't this sermon going fast? <laughs> point two is the light of heaven. In this time of tremendous darkness, God breaks in. And he gives this Babylonian godless king a dream. And his own words is, I can't rest anymore. I am disturbed. I am troubled. I, something is stirred in me. And even though I'm the most powerful king in the world, even though I've got all the money, all the comfort, all the control, I can't live right now without knowing this dream. I've got to know what this dream means. Folks, did you know that God is never discouraged or out of resources? God, God is not sweating and like, boy, it's getting really bad. It's getting, wow, wow. I did not see this coming. God always sees it coming. God always, he always sees it coming. And sometimes he allows a time of darkness so that he can break in. The difficulty, of course, he's got all of his guys in there, all of the conjurers and the magicians and all the the wise men, and they're like, this is above our pay grade. You're asking for something that no one's ever asked of anybody. God 
the gods do not dwell among men. Our gods are distant. They're out there somewhere, but we're basically on our own down here. So this is, this is the Babylonians, but this isn't just the Babylonians. Most of the captives ate the, the king's food and wine, and they had the same theology. Most of the church people had the same theology that the Babylonians, that God is way out there and he doesn't really speak today. (laughs) He doesn't, we don't really expect God to actually intervene and do things today. And so most of the captives, uh, they're they're getting, because they're all being trained to be wise men. They are in despair now because their life is going to be ended very soon. They're either angry or they're very sad and depressed and they are preparing to die. Why? Because God doesn't dwell among men. But there were four young men that had a different theology. There were four young men who hadn't abandoned God when life wasn't going their way. There were four young men who had purpose in their heart that even though life was hard and it wasn't going the way they wanted to, that they were not going to defile themselves with the king's food and wine, and they were going to stand, and they were going to go out believing in God and trusting in God. And God was alive to them. And they put a demand on their relationship with God. It wasn't just that they believed in God and that they had a relationship with God. Now they actually needed God to do something. Somebody actually had to put a demand on their relationship with God. Somebody had to shake out a spiritual apathy and ask God and seek God for God to do something that only God could do. And there's no way to fake it. Either God comes through or they die. And Daniel, Daniel calls a prayer meeting. He keeps lays it out for the for his three friends and say, guys, we we need we need God. So this is the hour we're in in America. I, I preached on politics uh, several weeks ago when we were in Romans on and we asked the question, why these two candidates? Why is God allowing it to be so dark? And I gave my answer. Part of my answer was. God wants to wake the church up. Politics was never the answer for America. The idea of getting the right guy in there so he could change the laws and make it right, that, that's, that's not, the, God's eyes are on his people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and start seeking my face. Then I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God wants to use this hour to wake the church up. Folks, it's time. It's time for us to not just have a theology that Jesus is alive, but to actually put a demand on that relationship. 
And I'm stunned by God's willingness to come through. This is uh, a few weeks ago. We had Tom Doyle here. He wrote a book called Dreams and Visions. Is God Awakening the Muslim People? And if there's anybody locked up, it's Muslims. I mean, they're being trained in hatred. Kids are being trained in hatred. You talk about kids being renamed. They're being trained to hate America. They're being trained early on. And they can't be exposed to Christians because the government has made it illegal to evangelize. And so you've got this darkness and these young people growing up locked in. So what does God do? Just like then. He intervenes with dreams. This is, uh, this is one of the stories from his book. Hassan had a heart for Muslims and had studied for years to reach them for Christ, but the results were disappointing. He lived in the old part of Cairo, Egypt, for two years, and although he talked about Christ daily, he had not seen a single convert. Early one morning, he was abducted and taken against his will across rooftops to a hatch door that he was commanded to open. Hassan was praying the prayer of a martyr. Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. But something extraordinary awaited him inside the foreboding room he entered. The man who had kidnapped Hassan explained. There was a, a group of about 12 in this room. We are imams, and we all studied at al Azar University. During our time there, each of us had a dream about Jesus, and each of us has privately become a follower of Christ. For a time, we didn't dare tell anyone about this. It would, of course, have been our own death sentences. But finally, we could hide it no longer. We each prayed to Jesus for his help to learn what it means to be his follower. Over time, he brought us together, and you can imagine our amazement when the Holy Spirit revealed that there are other imams who have found Jesus as well. Now we meet here three times a week at night to pray for our families and for the people in our mosques to find Jesus too. We know you follow Christ. He has led us to you. I'm very sorry I had to frighten you with the mask and the gun. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I knew it was the only way to get you here. It was just too dangerous any other way. I apologize. But now our question is, will you teach us the Bible? Pastor Tom, why, why is God always moving in other countries? What about Madison? What about the people that are around us? Does God ever do something for our people. So I contacted our neighbors years ago, five years ago. A dramatic thing happened with our, na- our old neighbors. And they, they both wrote back and said, please tell the story and uh, however you want to tell it. So here it is. We get home. And we had had very little contact with our neighbor. I mean, my theology is we need to be in our neighborhoods and loving our neighbors, but it's really hard. Has anybody noticed this? Because they got that that remote control and, you know, it comes up, they go out, and then they come back in. You just don't see them. It's not like they're... But but one day, we did have one contact at least, or, or a couple actually, but one of them... 
um, my neighbor was raking the, the leaves in the lawn, and I just went out and chatted with him a little. And one thing, he loved to talk and found out that he was an agnostic and, and why they were and da-da-da-da-da and, you know, whatever. Um, so one day I get back, we get home from some type of trip and uh, open the door and something drops and I look down, there's an there's a, a envelope and there's a letter in there. And this letter is from our neighbor who has received a dream. And in this dream, God told her to write this letter and talk to me. Would it be possible in your busy schedule to talk to me and my husband? So the next day we went over there. I've never seen leading somebody to Christ be easier than it was. They were all, God had already gone before. God had already told them this is what you needed to do. This is how it's going to happen. So, so here was the dream. She's, uh, she had, had gone through a number of losses, one after another. The, the most two recent had been her mom and then her, her dog had died. And she was convinced that God was punishing her for her sins. And God gave her this dream and um, they both sent something. I'm just going to tell you what, what her, I'll just read what her husband wrote. The night God talked to my wife five years ago was the culmination of what seemed like a long, drawn-out, downward spiral of depression, setbacks, and gut blows for us. My wife was truly at or near the bottom mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. This was textbook, hand of God, grabbing her and pulling her up from the cliff edge she was barely clinging to, and by design was meant to save both of us. My wife doesn't recall much, if anything, about the dream itself other than God adamantly and with urgency telling her she must talk to you. I remember hearing her so loudly when I thought she was sleeping while I was in the kitchen. And because of the way she was talking that I had to investigate, she kept saying, I need to talk to Tom as if she was actually conversing with someone. This lasted maybe 90 seconds or so, and then I woke her up and asked her who she was talking to. After a few seconds, she then said, I have to write a letter to our neighbor. God tells me to write a letter to Tom. Guys, do you know that apart from Jesus, life doesn't work? (laughs) You know, how are we going to reach them? It's not that hard to reach them. They just need to take another lap around life. It doesn't work. We were made for a relationship with God. People all around us are hanging on to cliff edge. They are hanging on. They are oftentimes desperate. Now we become masters at pretending. We've been, been masters at putting forth the best, the best spin, the best face on things, and, and people know how to survive and get by. But inwardly, there is a desperation. People need the gospel. 
God is preparing people for the gospel. Do not say to yourself, four months and then maybe something will happen. The harvest is white. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your heart. Be prepared because the harvest is white and God is moving in the harvest. I believe God's light is breaking into America in this dark hour. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. In the last days, I'm just making sure that they don't have it up there so that, they, so that if I say it wrong, you can't correct me. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour, pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters, and they will prophesy. Now, if you're not from a charismatic type church, that whole idea of the spirit of prophecy and uh, Tim down here giving, God's going to pour out his spirit of prophecy, that can be very, very foreign to us. And what would that even look like? Prophecy simply means this. Use the word intimacy. I'm going to pour out intimacy so that people are going to know me intimately. They're not just going to know about me. They're not just going to be able to have an argument about me. They're not just going to be able to give general information. They're actually going to know me. They're going to be able to speak exactly what I am saying. Nebuchadnezzar didn't need information. He needed something that you could only get in intimacy. So here's what God's saying. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters. Here's here's what he's saying. I'm not going to raise up one Daniel. I'm going to raise up a whole company of young people. I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to come into the darkness of the last days by pouring out my spirit, and I'm going to raise up a prophetic people. So this summer, I decided after Romans, I was going to do Daniel, and I got to thinking about Daniel chapter 2, and I, and I went beyond Daniel 2. I'm like, oh my, the Bible is filled with political thrillers where God supernaturally shows up. Joseph, Daniel, Esther, these are all people in the public sphere, not in the temple, not in the church. They're in the public sphere, and God, and, and all three are in times of tremendous darkness, and God comes in and changes everything. So I started writing a book. I love political thrillers anyway. I'm like, why don't we get a political thriller where God is the, is the main character? Were God's intervention. So I, I wrapped, I took this, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but um, I wrapped the three stories together. Daniel, Joseph, and Esther. I wrapped those three together and brought it into contemporary America. And I wrote a book called The Key. I dedicated it. And in this, in this story, it is a supernatural thrill. We got a hundred copies up here for, for young people today. But um, it's got God's heart for young people. God's desire to 
manifest himself through young people that in this hour, it's an hour where he wants to give you a voice. The enemy certainly wants to shut you down, but God wants to give you a voice. So I dedicated the book to young people that believe God wants to make a difference through them. So we'll talk more about that at the end. Point three, hearing God. Hearing God today, actually. Have you ever had had to hear from God? Have you ever had to put a demand on your relationship where you absolutely felt like you had to hear from God? We had a story, a testimony last two, two Tuesdays ago. A young man, one of our teenagers, gave this testimony, and I, I emailed him and his dad and said, could, could, I, could I share, without sharing his name, could I share that? Testimony, and they immediately sent back, please, if, if that's what God wants. And this, this young man was just wrestling with lust, wrestling with the thoughts that were overwhelming him and, and had been seeking God to be free from it, seeking God to, to, to be a favored son and not be filled with lust. And he had taken a stand and had some freedom and... Uh, a few weeks ago, they were at the Kalahari. There was 190 at the Kalahari. And uh, Ed Ainsworth was the speaker. Well, his wife, Ed Ainsworth's wife, had made up 190 postcards and wrote a little prophetic word on each one as if God was speaking to a young person and put them in envelopes and and Ed had them laid across the front 190 and he said guys he says what we're going to do now is I'm going to invite you to pray and ask you to come up and we're asking God to speak to you that whichever one of these 190 is your God's word to you that you would find that envelope have you ever been in a service like that before? I've, I've never seen anything like it. I, th- I thought it was amazing. So this young man, he is just so earnest. And he says, God, could you please direct me to an envelope? that lets me know that I am free from lust, that lets me know that my identity is in you and that this is not going to dominate my life. And then he just goes up, takes, takes one of the envelopes, he gets back to his seat, he opens it up, and this is what his postcard said. I have given you self-control. Lust will not control you. The intimacy of that. God Almighty, who made the heavens and the earth, would hear the cry of one young man that wants to please him and sovereignly arrange. I just can't imagine what it would take to get that link, but it 
He did it. Because it's who he is. Early in 2006, we were living in Montevideo, Minnesota. I'm pastoring, and ever since 2002, my good friend Shane Holden, who was pastoring Mad City Church, um, had wanted me to come to Mad City and be part of the staff, and eventually he wanted me to pastor it and lead it, and he had all this prophetic stuff happening to him, and I had all this prophetic stuff happening to me, and, but every time it would almost happen, something would fall through, or we would feel like God was saying, wait, and da-da-da. So it's early, it's, it's, it's early in 2006, and I, I just... I am just so frustrated with the prophetic and God said and God sang and and then it doesn't happen. I'm just like, God, I'm, I just think this whole thing is the strategy of the devil to confuse me and to get my heart like I'm supposed to go somewhere else. And the truth is I need to pastor the church I'm at. I need to give myself to this. I'm just like, I just, I don't want to grieve you, God. I don't want to say no to you, but I, I can't think about this anymore. I've just, I've got to be, about this, and I'm just going to treat this as if it's the enemy trying to distract me. So I have a dream. And in this dream, there is a large church that has internal distress. Even though on the outside, everything's going good, there is internal distress. And that's scene one. And scene two is Shane. It's just Shane, and he's waving to me to come. And uh, I get up, and I am just mad. I, I'm just mad. I'm like, God, really? I, I finally got free from this stuff. I finally took it to the altar and got free from it so I could pass your head, and, and now this happens, and I'm, I'm just confused. And, but, with ever, whenever you receive something supernatural, I never conclude, this is God. I always, I'm like, is it or isn't it? This could be the devil. This could be the devil trying to confuse me, trying to get me back where I was. And, and so I, I don't think that much of it. The next morning, okay, so now it's, it's not that night, it's the next night. I wake up at 4 a.m., there I am. I'm just, I'm just before the Lord. And I'm like, God, I hate to ask this. But if, if it's really you, if you really want me to go to Madison... Would you give me another dream? Now, just so we all understand this, God's never obligated to do anything. God could easily let Daniel and his friends die. And he's still God and he's still good and he's just got a different purpose. So the idea that, you know, I'm putting a demand on that relationship that God has to do this or I'm not going to believe it, that's never on the table with me. But I'm just like, God, please save me. Save me from myself. Save me from whatever. If it's really you that I go to Madison, would you please, in your mercy, give me another dream? Go back to bed. Wake up at 7 o'clock, somewhere in there. No dream. Praise God, I don't have to go to Madison. I get to the office. (laughs) I get to the office. It's Thursday morning. And... My secretary says to me, uh, she said, I put a note on your desk. Shane called. He has to talk to you right now. 
Shane, Shane and I talk on Mondays. We, we, we never call each other any other day of the week because that's just how we set it up. I go in there, there's the note, and I, so I call Shane, and Shane says this. He says, listen. He says, I really, I really can't talk because I've, I've got to go to a meeting right now, but let me just tell you what happened right before I woke up. He said, I had a dream, and it was so Real, He said, I thought it happened. He said, Mike Bickle, Mike Bickle's kind of the prophetic guy down in Kansas. He said, Mike Bickle was sending you a postcard. He, he said, I saw the postcard. I saw what it said. And he put it in the mailbox. And this is what it said on the postcard. Tom Flaherty's destiny unequivocally lies in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> See you later. And he just hangs up. I was stunned. I was stunned. The intimacy. And and before you get like, why doesn't God speak to me that clearly? If God ever speaks to you that clearly, it probably means you're going to need that word to endure the next season. So however exciting that sounds... First Thessalonians five nineteen through 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. There are two things that all of us need to know concerning the Holy Spirit. It is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. This is Ephesians 4.30. We grieve the Holy Spirit or make the Holy Spirit sad when we reject the character of Christ. When we just go along with culture and we lie, steal, cheat, manipulate, commit immorality, and live just like the world lives. We, when we're sincere Christians and we, we live that way, it makes him sad. It's not that he's not still in you. He is grieved. He is saddened when we reject the character of Christ. Quenching the Holy Spirit is when we say no to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When we say no to the power of God. Do not quench the Spirit of God. Do not despise prophetic utterances. When the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Holy Spirit manifests, He will come speaking. Do not say no to the Holy Spirit. Do not say no to his manifestations and to his power. And you say, Pastor Tom, why would anybody despise prophetic utterances? Well, (laughs) if you've been around, if you have been around the charismatic church for even a little while, you will start to understand why you can come to despise prophetic utterances. 
oftentimes up front, people are just swallowing everything. Everything is God, and everybody that says, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. Oh, isn't this wonderful? God's speaking to everybody. And, and then people, like, change their lives because of a prophetic word. And God, you know, some guy said, I'm supposed to move to Kansas City. And so we packed up our bags, and, and there's just wreckage everywhere. And, you, and, and when you think every thought in your mind is from God and that you are God's prophet, it, it, the enemy just touches you with a little pride and you just become absolutely weird. <laughs> and and you, 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 he, he tries to create this whole identity where you don't even walk on earth. You just are up here and God's saying this and God's saying that and God's saying that. And, and how do you know this, Pastor? I've been that person. I, I, I know it firsthand. And it, it just makes you weird. So then once you decide I'm not going to swallow everything, oftentimes people go to cynicism. Where God never speaks. I don't expect God to speak. I'm not looking for God to speak. That only gets us in trouble. So I'm just going to go with the Bible. I'm just Bible. No, no present day, God speaking. I'm just going to go with what God said, you know, thousands of years ago. And then you, go, you get into the theology of the other captives where God doesn't really dwell among us. God doesn't really intervene presently. God doesn't really speak today. God doesn't really do things today. He, he already gave us the perfect, which is the Bible. And now we're just, we're kind of on our own. We've got the Bible to kind of have principles, but, but the idea that God's going to intervene and change things and speak and heal is, that's, that's back then, not now. That was, we needed that to start the early church, but we don't need it now. It's called cynicism. And it quenches the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just backs off. The part of the Bible you don't believe is the part you don't get to have. If you believe in salvation, praise God, you can get saved. But if that's all you believe and you don't believe in any more of the river of God and the power of God and the gifts of God, you will simply live without them. I'm submitting today that we can't go without them anymore, guys. I'm submitting to us today, we need more than an argument in America. We need God to move. So what does Paul say? How do you, how do you not be weird or a cynic? Here's what Paul says. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, it's going to be messy. Because he's even pouring his spirit out on sons and daughters. This is not just old wise people that have read the Bible for 40 years and they're very safe. And so God can pour out a spirit and know that they're not going to be weird about it. I'm going to pour out my spirit on brand new Christians. And they're going to know God's speaking and they're going to say it. And they're going to, while they're sharing it, they're going to swear. And it's just going to offend everybody. And it's just like God could never use that person. Their life is a mess and, and it's just going to be messy. It's going to be messy when I pour out my spirit because I'm going to pour out my spirit not on perfect people but people that are still in process. Young people. And so Paul says, don't swallow everything and don't become a cynic. Examine everything. 
recognize that the, the Holy Spirit's not like the Old Testament where it came from the outside. It's coming from the inside and it's coming. The Holy Spirit lives in here and it's coming out. But the problem is these vessels are insecure and they've got their own agenda and they've got their own thoughts. And so he says, you need to examine everything. And then cling to what is good. So examine everything, but not because God doesn't speak and, and God, God wasn't in any of that and they're false prophets. No, no. Examine it with a heart that is looking for what God is saying. But don't feel like you, I have to swallow everything that everybody says God is saying. No, no. Just picking, just, there's, there's almost always going to be a little hamburger helper. In a word. So there's going to be meat. And there's going to be a little hamburger helper where people's opinions get in, people's own thoughts get in. And, and so you've just got to be mature enough to say, I'm, I'm, God expects me to examine every prophetic word, not with cynicism, but looking for what he's saying and clinging to what is good, clinging to what is confirmed in our spirit. This is truly God speaking. So let me tell you what happened in our elders meeting this week. Monday night, we're in our elders meeting, and I tell about this service where we're going to set apart young people, teens and 20-somethings, and one of our elders is just like, I wish we weren't doing this. I'm like, bro, why? He's like, because my, my son is not walking with God today, and I attribute it largely to the fact that there was all this hype and anointing and, and, and he was supposed to be this great person and all these things were prophesied over him that never happened. And he's just like, how much of this is even real? And then another elder in the group talked about his uh, two kids that are not walking with God. And, and uh, my oldest son is not walking with God, raised in the charismatic Pentecost and... And I'm like, wow, I, I, you know what? I, we, we do need, we need to be careful. So let me describe to you what I think young people are like today. They're like Nebuchadnezzar. They don't, Nebuchadnezzar's like, don't give me your charismatic hype. I don't want to be manipulated. I don't want you to pretend. I don't want you to speak things out of yourself. I need to hear from God. I have received something very real. And I need something very real. I don't need your best opinion. I don't need your agenda. I need something from heaven. And I just, I just want to encourage, encourage us as people that believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and in the prophetic to add a little fear of God. It's okay to not be sure. It's okay to phrase when you give something to somebody else to recognize, bro, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I feel like God might be saying. Now you judge that. You know what? If it's really God he will judge it and say, yes, yes. Do you see that if you give it that way, it gives him freedom to judge it himself. To just come up and say, thus saith God, you're going to be an evangelist in Uganda. 
It, it doesn't, it just doesn't. Joe and I are going to Uganda tomorrow. Anyway, um, <laughs> I break that off. You're supposed to be here. But anyway, um, to just walk in this thing with humility. When you feel like God's speaking, God wants to give you a voice. That's how it works. The Holy Spirit will flow as you open your mouth and start speaking at its nudges. But don't say it in such a way that it's like you trying to force people. Because it makes young people just back away. Because then it's, it's all or nothing. And, and for crying out loud, when we're giving our own opinion, just say, this is my opinion. This is, this is what I feel like the Lord said. And this is my opinion. This is my counsel. Those are two different things. And we just need to be careful. And I believe God's raising up a people that is going to be more and more careful in this hour. So could we stand to our feet? I could, if the worship team could come, that would be amazing. So here's what I want to do today. This is not just for people on the main floor, but up in the balcony. I want to describe this very clearly before you respond to this. If you are age 12 to age 29, 12 to 29, and you can say with honesty that you believe God wants to make a difference in this world through you. If, if you could, that's all you have to agree to, to, that I believe God wants to make a difference through me. You're, you're age 12 to 29. If that is you, I want you to step out of your, wherever you are, and I want you to come down to the front and stand across the front. We're going to have a prayer for our, for young people. We're going to set them apart. God wants to set you apart. And I actually have another word I want to speak over you. You're age 12 to 29. Come on down to the front. Does nobody want to be in the middle? Can we, can we come over? <clears throat> I want to tell you what happened Tuesday morning. So Tuesday morning is, uh, is the morning I'm, I'm planning. The all. Praise God, we have more coming. Please come. And I feel like what the Lord wanted to, to give you was this scripture. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. I'll just read it to you. <clears throat> Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you 
and his glory will appear on you. Nations will come to your light. This is early morning on Tuesday. I feel like this is the scripture. We get to the the prayer time and we're praying for Sunday and one of our uh, staff, God just gives him a a picture of Sunday morning. He said, I'm, I'm seeing these young people at the altar. And he said, God wants to make every one of them jewels. He said, they're all going to be different. There's going to be a sapphire and an emerald and a, and a diamond and an amethyst. And they're all going to be, they're going to be unique. They're going to be uniquely cut. They're going to have a unique calling, but they are his jewels because he wants them to shine in the darkness. And I'm like, this is the word of the Lord. In the Old Testament, guys, the high priest, he carried and he wore this ephod and on this ephod, he carried the people of God and they were 12 different jewels on his ephod. This is how God wanted the high priest to think about his people. Guys, Jesus is our high priest today. You are on his heart. And here's how he thinks about you. You are his jewel. You are his jewel. This is who you are. He is making you. He is cutting you. He is crafting you. And he, But jewels need a light. All you need is a light to shine on a jewel. And the brilliance and the glory of it will come out. And so God is crafting you. This is why God is asking you to make a commitment to not grieve the Holy Spirit. To stay in there. To stay in there. God's making you something and it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. But choose to live. God, I do not want to grieve you. And he's going to make his glory shine. Which is why he's asking you as young people... Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't say no to my gifts. I want to pour out my spirit on you. This world needs you to shine. This world needs you to shine. So I've got a couple pastors with anointing oils. uh, uh, And so they're just going to put a little oil on you. Oil is the Holy Spirit. Holy means set apart. He's the set apart spirit. Oil was used to set people apart. And so... um, in the congregation, if you're okay with this, could you just reach a, an arm out towards them? And Joe, you guys are going to have to move fast. You can't do prayers. You're just anointing them. <laughs> Young people, would you just open your arms like this? I want you to pray, starting, I want you to pray this out loud. Dear Jesus, uh, young people, pray this right out loud. Dear Jesus, I am opening my heart to you. Come in and save me. Come in and wash me. Come in and make me who you want me to be. Come and share your intimacy with me. Now I want to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, you told me this is your answer. You're going to pour out your spirit. As dark as it was in Babylon, as dark as it was in Persia, as dark as it was in Egypt, you weren't done. You were going to pour your spirit out on young people. 
You are going to break in to darkness and shed your light. You are going to release the gifts of God in a new way, in a fresh way, and it would change the face of the earth. Now, Father, would you come? Lord, it means very, very little for us to put a little oil on everybody's forehead. But God, it means everything if you're putting oil on everybody's forehead. Lord, we're just trying to obey you here. Touch these young people. Set them apart. Some of you have felt dirty. Some of you have felt abandoned. God is speaking to the depths of your being right now. You are my jewel. You are my treasure. Sometimes treasure is buried. Sometimes treasure is under dirt. Sometimes treasure lies under accusation. You are God's jewel. And maybe right now you don't like what you look like. Maybe you don't like what you look like physically or emotionally or personality-wise. Or Listen, the jeweler's not done with you yet. Please be patient. Please be patient with your life. Please be patient with God. Heaven knows he's been patient with you. So here's how we're going to end. Before, guys, you guys can look up here for just a moment. Before you leave today, every one of you gets one of these. This is my gift to you. This is just the the story. You will have a lot of fun listening to this. I have this. Russian accent I do as I'm reading it. I have, I have this, this female accent. It's horrible. But anyway, I think you will. That, that is for you before you live. But listen, we're going to, usually we turn the lights up at the end and everybody um, kind of whatever. Let's leave the lights down. And I'm going to encourage young people. When you leave, take one of those. But I'm going to encourage you to stay up here and pray. I'm going to encourage you to, we're we're going to do a few worship songs. Just let God set you apart. If you have to go, obviously, no, no problem there. Take your copy and go. But I'm just going to encourage you to wait. I want to actually get down there and pray some too. So the rest of you, if you feel like you want to come up and stand behind some of these young people and pray for them, please, liberty, absolute liberty. But remember, let's be careful. Let's just be careful. Let's not put pressure on our young people. All right, I'm done talking. God bless you.